Welcome to Wednesday Word, a Bible study led by Pastor John Jenkins of Northport Baptist Church. All right, we got through Acts 10 finally, so now we're in Acts 11. So turn over to Acts chapter 11. But really in the last few chapters of Acts, really from Acts 8 on, and you see it all through the book of Acts, but you really start seeing it in Acts 8 through Acts chapter 10, you start seeing God's heart to reach everyone for the gospel. I mean, we know just biblically that God's desire, His heart, is for everyone to be saved, for no one to perish, according to 2 Peter. We know that's not going to happen, even according to the Bible, but that is God's heart. And God made a way. And of course, the way for people to be saved is Jesus Christ. And in Acts, you start seeing God's heart for the nations. And you start even seeing in Acts 1-8, because He tells us His heart is for the nation. Jesus does. He says, that's where you're going to be my witnesses. And you really start seeing God's heart and what all God is doing and what God has to do to get the gospel to the nations. And so, unfortunately, He had to do some things to the church to get the gospels to the nations. So just think about early on in the church... Why didn't they take the gospel where Jesus told them to take it? I mean, of course, Acts 1-8, Jesus says, You'll be my witnesses everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But for a long time, the gospel stayed right there in Jerusalem and never left Jerusalem. Why is that? Why did they not obey the commands of Scripture? Con contentment? Complacency, comfortable. They were fine with the gospel right here and sharing with their neighbors and their friends. What about prejudice? Prejudice is a definite one. And we saw that specifically last week. You're going to see it again today in Acts chapter 11. But here's the thing about the Jews. The Jews thought that the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ was for who? Them and no one else. And so they were prejudiced and... You're going to start seeing this today, and even in Acts chapter 10 we saw it a little bit, but as Peter and Paul and Barnabas and others go out to share the gospel, and we would call them missionaries because that's what we do. We send people out specifically with a task to share the gospel. Most Jews did not understand that. And the reason they didn't understand that is because of prejudice. They were prejudiced. And it's hard for us to comprehend and I don't know if this will be a good metaphor, but okay, let's just think about this. Okay, let's just say Sunday morning I come up in front of the church and I resign as pastor because I'm telling you I'm going to be a missionary. And then I tell you where I'm going to take the gospel. And this is where I'm going to take the gospel. I'm going downtown to the dog pound and I'm going to share with every dog that comes to that dog pound the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now you laugh, right? right? That's how they saw others. The Sumerians especially in Acts chapter 8. But all Gentiles, and you read about it in Acts 10, it talks about Gentiles all the time. You did what? You went into the house of a Gentile and you ate with them? They see them as not human basically. It's almost like dogs. Really, they are. Dogs are probably better in their mind than these people. That's the way they see people. And you can see it today even in Israel if you watch the news. But think about what happens between, I mean, just think about it. 
How much war do we have right there? And what is the war over? I mean, they say it's over land. It's not over land. But you have the Gaza Strip and you have Israel. They hate one another and they see each other as horrible things. And it was the same way in the book of Acts. And so there's a ton of prejudice that keeps them from sharing the gospel, but not just prejudice. What about traditions and laws that really weren't laws? I mean, here's really what the early church did, and we, would, we do it too, so don't hold them in too much contempt. But they would kind of mix this new Christianity that they're getting with Judaism. I mean, that's what they would do. They would kind of mix it together. That's why they would say it's just for the Jews. And they would basically still try to obey the law. I mean, that's what they said to Peter. You ate with a Gentile? Our laws say you can't do that. Well, they don't say that. But God never said that. The Pharisees said that. But think about Luke 15. What did they complain about Jesus? Luke 15, 1, the Bible says that notorious sinners were coming and hanging around Jesus and even ate with them. And what did the Pharisees do? Well, they wanted to kill him for it because he's hanging around sinners. It's Gentiles. He's hanging around sinners and Gentiles and going to eat in their house. I mean, what did he do in Jericho with Zacchaeus? He went to his house and he ate, right? They did not understand it. They hated him for it. And they just carried this over even though they're believers now because it specifically says in the Bible, Jewish believers or circumcised believers said this to Peter. So their traditions kept them from taking the gospel to where Jesus said it. Now here's a good question for you. Does the same thing happen today? Does contentment keep us from taking the gospel and sharing the gospel and sending money and praying and doing the things we need to do missionally? Well, you better believe contentment does. That's the church in America right there if you need a reference for that. Does prejudice do what for us? Oh man, you better believe it. I mean, multiple ways, but just think about... If I say, hey, I need somebody right now to go to Afghanistan and share the gospel. Now, how many of you are going to raise your hand for that job? Most of us won't. And we'll say, well, it's because of fear and danger and different things. But we have a view of Islam and Muslims that aren't accurate, honestly. Same as they have a view of Christians that aren't accurate. Because what determines our view of Islam? what we see in a little box or on a phone or on TV or whatever, right? Okay, what do you think distorts their view of Christianity? Same thing. thing. I was meeting yesterday with uh, an Iranian believer, a missionary to Iran, and he was talking about before he came to faith, the one thing they thought Christianity was, now this is several years ago, but think about Madonna, if you remember Madonna. I mean, what did Madonna always have around her neck whenever she would perform? A cross. Okay, so whenever a Muslim would see Madonna perform, well, that's Christianity because she has a cross around her neck. Is that a distorted view of Christianity? Well, I hope so, but it is, right? But that's how they see Christianity. So they see Christianity based on anything they see coming out of America because America is a Christian nation. That's how they equate it because... Anywhere you go, like in the Middle East, is a Muslim nation because it's just the way it is. And so they see America as a Christian nation. So anything that comes out of there, movie, music, news, whatever it is, well, that's Christianity. That's how they see it. So our prejudices go both ways, just like there, right? 
Our traditions screw people up, especially as Baptists. Well, uh, I mean, I had an experience with a teacher she taught with that was Jewish, but she was a Christian. And, uh, she was a she was a believer. Yeah, I'm trying to. Think. I'm not messianic. Messianic Jew, yep. Yeah. And um, and so when she found out she was Baptist, you know, she felt like that. She said, "And you're going to associate with me." I mean, and she didn't say it in those words. But yeah. She, you know. But there are these, all these beliefs and weird prejudices that make no sense. But there's a lot of, I'm just telling you, there's a lot of things that keep people from coming to the gospel, but also keep us from sharing the gospel and taking it. And there's just, they're just hindrances and they're spiritual and they're put there by Satan to blind the world. And I mean, here's some things that you really have to think through. We even need to think through them as a church. But just think of simple things like language. Okay, especially in the day we live, the culture we live, people don't know in our culture, in our town, they don't know the Bible. They don't know biblical words. Okay, so if I walk up to someone that really has never been in church, doesn't know the Bible, and I say, you're lost, what does that mean to them? <laughs> no, I know where I am. I'm in Tuscaloosa. What do you mean I'm lost? I'm not lost. <laughs> but does that word connect? I mean, it really does. Unless you explain what that word means, that has no connection to people whatsoever. If I say, I'm saved, yeah. what does that mean? You're saved from what? That happened to me when I was saved at 16, and I told my dad I was saved, and he, what? Yeah, but where did you grow up? Tell him. I grew up in Washington. It's culturally totally different, but now here is probably pretty similar culturally to what you grew up in, right? I mean, from a language biblical context. Yeah. Think about this one. If I say, Jesus Christ is the Lord of my life, what does Lord mean? If you didn't grow up in England and you didn't grow up in a time when the King James was written, what does the word Lord mean? Lord of the manor. We don't have a clue, but it, it's, we don't know what that means. Do you know what that means? You say it all the time. Do you know what it means? I mean, think about it. But I mean, that's a better word. But we think if I said Jesus is the boss of my life, that sounds sacrilegious almost. But why? Because we have traditions and we have prejudices and we have language that we always know. We're just like the early church there in the book of Acts, right? I mean, it's just the way it is. So you've got to think through these things and break through these things. And that's what God was having to do here in the book of Acts. He was having to break through prejudice. He was having to break through tradition. He was having to break through complacency to get the church to do what he's calling them to do. And so that's what we're reading about here in the book of Acts. And so remember Acts chapter 10, which is very important for us as Gentiles because Cornelius there is praying to God and he prays and God says, I'm going to send you someone who will tell you about Jesus, the gospel. And of course, he has to work in Peter's life and break down some of those prejudices. And he does that with a vision, through a vision, and talks about what's clean and unclean. And then Peter goes to Cornelius' house, who is a Roman general, and he shares the gospel with him. And Cornelius' family saved. They're baptized. They receive the Holy Spirit. But I want you to see what happens in Acts chapter 11, because it's just crazy, but it would happen in the church today probably. So look at verse 1. It says, Soon... The news reached the apostles and other believers. Now, this is specifically Jewish believers. It said some of your Bibles might say that. But other believers in Judea that the Gentiles had received the word of God. Now, before I go on, 
That's really important. <laughs> they had received what? The Word of God. Okay. And what is the Word of God? It's, it's Jesus, right? John 1, right? What became flesh? The Word became flesh. Jesus is the Word. The Word is Jesus. We can't separate that. Now, why is that so important? This is why it's important. How do people receive faith in Christ? Romans 10, faith comes by what? And hearing the Word of God. Okay, that's very important. And some of you might have gone through evangelism training and all this kind of stuff, and they train you with different things to share Jesus with people. You have to share the Word of God when you share Jesus because you cannot separate the two. It is imperative. That's why you need to know the Bible. That's why you need to memorize Scripture because when you have the opportunity to share Jesus with someone, it needs to be from the Bible. Amen? Amen. Say amen to that. That's an amen. And so that's why I tell you, like, use the story of the prodigal son or use something that Jesus shared. Use the Bible to share Jesus. It is crucial, and we've been taught different than this. And I'm telling you, Satan uses it to stop the spread of the gospel. Over the past year or so, a couple years, we've talked a lot about some of the research of our youngest generation, Generation Z, so those probably 20 and down. And this is just a recent study in the last week by Barner Research, just studying evangelism across the board. But with Generation Z, that youngest generation, which there aren't a lot of Christians, by the way, but those that are Christian out of that generation, 50% of them believe that it's more important in sharing the gospel your actions than your words. Okay, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Okay? It's a lie. Now, are your actions important? And here's why. Because if you live like the devil, then you ain't got the right to share the gospel because it just invalidates it completely, right? Okay, I'm not saying the way you live your life and your actions and your kindness and being Christ-like and bearing the fruit of the Spirit, it is of vast importance. But it is not more important than speaking truth of God's Word because nobody's going to get saved by watching you live your life because they don't know what you're doing and why you're living that way. If you don't tell them, right, how are they going to know? Well, they're going to think, well, I can live a moral life and I can basically earn my way into heaven. That's every other religion on this earth, is it not? Of course it is. And that's what they're going to think about you if you live a good moral life. What good is that? According to the Bible, it's useless, okay? They have to know Jesus and they have to know why God sent Jesus and what Jesus did for them so that they can return to God and be saved and have eternal life. You must share the Word of God. Now, thank God for one thing the early church was good at. They were good at that. They were good at telling the stories of Jesus and sharing His Word. They were good at that because that was their tradition, right? Think about how the Bible had been passed down from generation to generation to generation to generation. How was it done? They didn't have the written Word. I mean, they had a little bit, but not really. They passed it down Orally, It was oral tradition. They told stories, and they told them precisely. I mean, you go back to Deuteronomy. What was one of the commandments God gave parents? Okay, this is what you're going to have to do for your kids. 
You have to talk about me. You have to tell the story. You're going to write it on your doorpost of your house. You're going to write it on your head. I mean, you're writing it everywhere. It's important. And that's how the Bible's been passed down for generation to generation to generation. And the early Christian Jews just continued that. They just continued to hand down the Word of God. You're going to see that in just a minute with Peter. But it's vital that we share the Word of God because that's how people are saved. But look at what happens in verse 2. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers or circumcised believers criticized him. Have you ever wondered if there was criticism in the early church? Well, there you go. Don't have it now, thank God. No criticism now. They had it in the early church. But this is verse 3. You entered the home of Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. So that's what we've been talking about. That they're basically doing to Peter what the Pharisees did to Jesus, even though they're believers in Jesus. But this is how they've been trained. This is how they've been taught. This is all they know. And so what does Peter do? Verse 4, Then Peter told them exactly what happened. Now what did Peter do to Cornelius when he got to Cornelius' house? You remember? He told him exactly what happened. This is what God did. He showed me a vision. This is the animals, blah, blah, blah. So what is Peter doing here? The exact same thing. He is doing exactly what the early church did. They would precisely, exactly just tell the story over and over and over. How do you think we have the Bible? How do you think we have the Gospels? Because they knew the stories. The early church knew the stories because that's all the apostles talked about. They just told exactly what happened. This is what Jesus did. This is how Jesus was resurrected. This is how he died on a cross. This is what it is. So this is what Peter is doing here. He's telling them exactly what happened. Now, we won't read it again because we talked about it a lot in Acts chapter 10, but he's just telling them the story of how God showed him what's clean and unclean, and this is what you got to do, Peter. So look down, go down to verse 15 because this is where it kind of ends with that story. We've already looked at that. But verse 15 says this. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as he fell on us at the beginning. Now, what's he talking about? He's talking about Pentecost, right? This is the same thing. Peter's saying, this is exactly what happened. Do you remember back when we received the Holy Spirit at Pentecost? Do you remember what it was like when we were speaking in languages? We didn't know what we were saying and people heard about Jesus. Do you remember what it was like when I stood and when I preached and then 3,000 people were saved and they were baptized in one day? Do you remember what that was like? This is exactly what happened, guys. This is happening again, and it happened to the Gentiles. That's what he's trying to explain to them. Then verse 16. No, oh, this is a great verse. Then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that such an important verse? Okay, there's not a lot of things that Jesus said and a lot of verses in the Bible from a gospel perspective. I'm talking about the four gospels that are in all four. Okay? If you know how the gospels were written, the first three gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call those the synoptic gospels. The reason for that is because they're very similar in the way they're laid out and the stories, the structure, 
the timeline, it's all very, very similar. We call those the synoptic gospels. The book of John is totally different. He writes it completely different through the Holy Spirit inspiration. So rarely do we have stories, rarely do we have verses that are the same in all four. Now, a lot we have in the three, the synoptics, but rarely do they line up. And hardly ever do we have them in the four gospels and the book of Acts. Okay, so this is five times that the Bible says this, Jesus' words, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, why is that so important? I'll tell you why it's important. Look back in Acts 10. Acts 10. Look at verse 38. This is why it's important. Now, this is the chapter before, and Peter's talking to Cornelius, preaching to him, telling him about Jesus. Acts 10, 38, And you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with what? Then Jesus went around doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. So how did Jesus do everything he did? Through the power of the Holy Spirit. We talk about it all the time. What did Jesus promise the early church before he went to the cross? He promised, I'm sending somebody, the advocate's coming, I'm sending him. And in John 14, 12, because of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, guys, if you believe in me, you're going to do the same things I did on this earth and even greater things because I'm going to heaven. How is that possible? Only one way, through the power of the Holy Spirit. So here, Jesus' promise is being fulfilled, not just in Jews, but in Gentiles. What do we receive? The power of the Holy Spirit. And it is power. And we're going to see that even in these verses. But this is of vital importance to understand that John 14, 12 can be fulfilled in your life. This wasn't just for the apostles. And I know we have people that teach that the book of Acts, the power of the Holy Spirit and miracles and signs and visions, it stopped. It stopped with the apostles. It was just an apostolic mission. Once they died off, we don't have that anymore. We don't need that because we have the Word of God. Well, where does that say that anywhere in the Word of God? It never says that in the Word of God. But it talks about the power of the Holy Spirit all through the Word of God. And Jesus said it all through the Word of God. And we have the same power that He has. According to Scripture, read Romans 8. We have it. And it's even the same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And that's the Bible verse. I've been praying that you would understand that for an entire year out of Ephesians, right? You know that Bible verse, right? I'm not going to ask you because I don't want to be embarrassed. Okay, but I've been praying a Bible verse for you that you would understand the greatness of God's power for those of us who believe. And this is where it tells us that we have God's power. Keep reading. Look at verse 17. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift He gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? So finally, you think Peter's starting to see some reality, right? Like, God had to do a lot for me to see this, but He did a lot for me to see this. And I saw the same things that I saw on the day of Pentecost. And the same things I saw in the life of Jesus. They received the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when did they receive the Holy Spirit? Peter tells you there. When they what? Believed. When do you receive the Holy Spirit? When you believe. That's when you receive the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians 1 tells us that. But that's what happened. And we who are believers in Jesus Christ have the power of God, the same power Jesus had on this earth, through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Verse 18. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. So how do you receive eternal life? Repenting of your sin. There is no salvation without repentance. There's just not. You have to repent of your sins and believe in Christ Jesus. That's what you have to do. And so these verses are just, I'm just telling you, they're of paramount importance that we understand them. And I just, I love what Peter says there in verse 17 because I think it is so true and it's still true today because that's what he said. He says there that he was able to see what God was doing as he gave them the power of the Holy Spirit and then who am I to stand in the way? Has anybody in here ever taken experience in God? Great class, but the best thing in that class, if you want to know how to get involved in the work of God, is just see what God's doing and jump in. That's what you're to do. And that's, is that not missions all around the world? That's what missions is. That's what gospel witness is, evangelism is. It's just seeing whatever God's doing and what God's heart, and you just jump in and you get involved. And that's what Peter did. Is it not? It's what he did. He really didn't want to, but he wasn't going to stand in the way of God. Are you? That's a good question. We stand in God's way all the time, right? But we shouldn't. We could see what he's doing. Just jump in and get involved. And that's when God moves. So just a beautiful picture there. And then let me, I'm, I've got to go in just a second. I've got to go to the day school. They're starting. I've got to be in there at the beginning. But let me just read real quick verse 19. And then we'll pick up here as we come back in January. But it says, Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch of Syria. Now, the reason I wanted to read that is because we're going to read a lot about Antioch coming up. Because Antioch is going to become the center of Christianity or the hub of Christianity. It's going to shift from Jerusalem and it's going to go north. And really, Antioch, the city of Antioch in biblical times, is just very, very far south Turkey, kind of the border of Turkey and getting close to Syria and the Mediterranean. It's right in there. And so just north of Israel. And we're going to read a lot about Antioch because it becomes very important. But what's important here, what I want you to see just from a gospel perspective is what God has done. Because for a long time, Christianity had stayed in Jerusalem until Acts chapter 8. Then what did God do in Acts chapter 6, 7, and 8 to get the church to take the gospel out? He persecuted them. And then we see the gospel going north to Samaria. And here we see the gospel going even further. Because really what this is... Acts 11:19 is just a continuation of the story of Acts 1 through 4. Because in, I mean Acts 8, 1 through 4. In Acts 8, we see the gospel going to Samaria. And now what Luke does, who writes the book of Acts, he just picks back up in Acts 11 and tells us where else the gospel went when the church was persecuted. Remember what it says in verse 4? 
Where did believers share the gospel of Jesus Christ? Wherever they were scattered. So they were scattered more than Samaria, what Acts chapter 8 talks about. Wherever they were scattered, they preached the gospel. Where else were they scattered besides Samaria? Well, Cyprus. That's an island just off the coast of Turkey. That's a, an important island, too. We're going to read more about that. They were scattered to Phoenicia. They were scattered to Antioch. They're scattered a lot of places. And what did they do? They preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what we're going to see from this point forward throughout the book of Acts is really the first part of the book of Acts is almost like kind of a bonfire. And when I say bonfire, we know the Holy Spirit biblically is represented with fire throughout Scripture. The fire of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so God lit a flame in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost with the early church, but it stayed in Jerusalem as we've talked about. Was that God's heart? No, God's heart was for a wildfire, for the gospel to rage all over the earth. They didn't do it, so He helped them through persecution. But now, guess what we're going to see? We're going to see the wildfire, and it's going to spread everywhere. And so that's what we're going to start seeing as we study the rest of the book of Acts. And hopefully, my heart, for our church as we just continue what was started here. Because I'm ready to see Jesus. Anybody else ready to see Jesus? What has to happen before that takes place? Matthew 24, 14. All the nations must hear. Then the end will come. Okay, I'll leave you with this. On the earth right now, we've topped 8 billion people. It's a lot of people. Eight billion's a lot. Now, I know it's not to our federal government when you talk about money, but to us, eight billion's a lot of people, okay? Okay, there's still well over one billion, probably closer to two billion, that still do not have the Word of God in their heart language. Okay, we talked about the importance of the Word of God, right? Okay? So how do we get the gospel to the nations? Through what? Through His Word. So we still have work to do. Thanks for tuning in today. Join us next week as Pastor John continues the study. And if you're looking for more, find us at northportbaptist.org.